It's Arthur Idala on AM 970. The answer. This is the Arthur Idala Power Hour with quintessential New Yorker attorney Arthur Idala, New York's go-to lawyer. He's here to share his stories from in the courtroom and around the city with interviews from high-profile guests and everyday folks calling in to talk about everything from politics, lifestyle, health and wellness, and more. And now your host, making the case for the city he loves, attorney Arthur Idala. Happy Monday, everybody. Back to work. Hope it was as good for you as it was for me. You know, when you come back to work after you haven't been here, I haven't been here for two weeks because if you guys remember, I was two weeks ago, I was in Washington, D.C. working on a case. And uh, I was I was out of the office that whole week. I got back on Good Friday and I didn't come to the office. I honored that day as a day of not working and thinking about life. And then this past week, I, I spent time with my family. Um, it kind of began on a sad note and ended on the sad note. It began with last Monday's show a week ago with uh, me finding out that Chief uh, Joe Ponzi passed away. And it ended on Saturday morning with his funeral. That was unbelievably beautiful for a horrible occasion. But, you know, I always tried to make good out of something bad. And um, it was bad that, that uh, someone died at 65 years old who was really in, in great shape. Chief Joe Ponzi kept kept himself in, in great shape and he ate right and he didn't drink and he didn't smoke. I mean, he drank a little bit, but it was nothing crazy. Um, and he was just an overall great guy and, and he was really cheated um, at the very least out of 20 years of his life with his beautiful wife, his two daughters, his son-in-laws and his seven grandchildren. And, you know, you, you leave there and, and you at the funeral and you, everyone's crying and you're all bummed out. And then you try to say, you know, how do I make something positive out of this? And, you know, the only thing, the only real takeaway besides, you know, I'm going to keep in touch with his family and make sure they know they have the love and support of everyone around Chief Ponzi um, is to kind of two things. Number one is live your life the way, you know, it was it was it's supposed to be uh, lived, which is with honor and integrity and respect and also appreciate it. I mean, really appreciate it because we all get bummed out about so many things. And today was, you know, I had like the Monday blues a little bit and last night and so did Marianne. And we had a wonderful family week together. And, OK, it's back to going to work. But, you know, I think about Joe Ponzi and him going to work every day. And we used to talk a lot. When he was stuck on the Verrazano Bridge heading home on a Friday night. It would take him two hours to get home. But, you know, he enjoyed going to work. He appreciated the, the job he did in the Brooklyn DA's office serving the people of Kings County. And, you know, I enjoy what I do. I really do. You know, coming back after two weeks and being in the office, not only do I really enjoy the people who I, I'm surrounded with here at the office, but I enjoy the work, the actual work that I do, including coming on the radio at AM 970, The Answer. And I know sometimes we get caught up in our own head and... and um we get, you know, bummed out and we get depressed over things here and there. And, you know, a lot of my friends in Brooklyn that I know who are involved, who come from Ukraine, uh, many of them come from Odessa. Uh, and that that area got bombed heavily this weekend. I believe there was a lot of civilian casualties this weekend. And so, you know, I just try to look at those horrible things. I make the sign of the cross. I say in our father. Um and then try to not fall into that pit hole of being bummed out um, about things that in the big the big scheme of things aren't that big at all. Um, I will tell you what was big um, from a legal point of view. Look, y'all know about Elon Musk and buying Twitter and what that's going to be all about. By the way, if if anyone wants to talk at all today, we have two guests coming up. We have the fire uh, the chief of the firefighters union. Um, who's very important because we lost firefighter Klein uh, yesterday, and that's a horrible thing. And then we have uh, one of our uh, 
panelist from the Salem Business Breakfast on Wednesday. She's going to be a hoot, and we're going to talk about to her at the end of the show. But if anybody wants to get anything off of their chest, you can always call us. Matt's right there by the phone, 877-970-2999, 877-970-2999. You get it, 970-970-2999. Um, there's a lot going on in the news, but one thing that caught my eye over the weekend was on the cover of Saturday's New York Times uh, where it says outcry in Texas over a mother on death row. And this has to do with Melissa Lucio, L-U-C-I-O. Um, she's a mother of 14 children. Um, and one of her children uh, died at two years old. This is uh, quite a few years ago. I think it was 2007 was the conviction. Um, and she's supposed to be executed on Wednesday. And, um, you know, the testimony at trial by the medical examiner of this little girl was, I mean, he said it was one of the worst cases of abuse he'd ever seen. He said she died of blunt force trauma to the head, which means you get hit with something hard on the head. She had a broken arm that was healing. So he's saying it didn't even happen from the same situation. Uh, meaning like the same TPO time place of an occurrence. The head wound seemed to be much more recent than the broken uh, arm wound. She had bite marks on her back. Now, she did have a lot of siblings, so I don't know. I didn't, it didn't say whether those bite marks were from an adult or a child. But there's been a, a tremendous outcry, both from Democrats and Republicans in Texas, that this woman, Melissa Lucio, should get a new trial. Um, that there's evidence out there that uh, shows that the young girl may have fallen down a flight of stairs two days before, like the uh, defense put forth. I mean, some of the arguments were that the defense attorneys weren't powerful enough, which is always like a fallback argument um, there. So that's what's called ineffective assistance of counsel. Also, when you're sentenced to the death penalty in the state of Texas, they have a unique uh, qualification to be sentenced to death. And that is that uh, at the sentencing phase, the prosecutor has to prove the likelihood of um, dangerousness that the individual, if they're ever released from prison, are going to be a harm to society again. And here, in this particular case, they really they didn't have any evidence of that regarding this woman, except she had a couple, I think, minor altercations in prison, and they ratcheted those up while her case was pending, and they ratcheted those up to make it appear that, you know, she, she did have this history. Uh, look, I'm not saying this is any kind of... Um, model mother uh she's a mother of 14 she wasn't able to take care of the children properly they were homeless for a while they were living in a park um but because of that child homeless serv or child victim services uh were monitoring her and monitoring the children and they didn't report any uh issues regarding the children any of the children being abused none of the kids teachers uh, found any of those issues Another issue was that in the state of Texas, uh, mothers who kill their children uh, have never gotten the death penalty before. Um, and the biggest example of that is Andrea Yates. I don't know if you guys remember back in the day, she drowned five of her children in a bathtub. She was convicted, and um, but they didn't give her the death penalty. They gave her uh, life in prison. Then that conviction was overturned, and then her pro her attorneys found that she was incompetent, and she's been institutionalized for a very long time. Uh, at this point, I think she spent more than a third of, uh, of her life um, in, in institutionalized, either in prison or in a hospital. So I was thinking about the case, and I wanted to talk about it today, and sure enough, just a little while ago, it pops up on my phone, because it's become a national case. There's been documentaries on it, and one of the night show, uh, one of the evening news programs just did something on it, and the court, the appellate court in Texas has halted the execution. It's not going to take place on Wednesday. They sent it back down to the trial court and told them to make an examination of the newly discovered evidence and basically report back to the appellate court to see what um, what their findings are and what they think the next steps should be, whether there's going to be uh, a new trial or not, et cetera, et cetera. Again, I'm not 
saying one way or the other what's going, you know, what should happen here. It's just that it's not often in Texas that both uh, Democrats and Republicans are asking for a case not to go to, uh, you know, to to the end, which is the uh, the death penalty in this particular case in the state of Texas. So just a little breaking legal news. Um, also, in the next day or so, I want to break down, if you heard the beginning of the hour, the news, um, that was Paul Clement who was arguing, he was the former Solicitor General, about prayers on uh, athletic fields in, in school sports. I think that's a great topic for us to discuss on AM 970, The Answer. But we are going to um, talk about another sad, sober topic, um, Brooklyn's bravest, Timothy Klein. Uh, he reported for duty yesterday morning at 31 years old in Canarsie, um, ladder company 170, and um, he didn't come home because uh, he died fighting that fire. So we are going to have the uh, the chief of the firefighters union come and uh, speak to us, and you know we'll talk about exactly what happened. And uh, really acknowledge the sacrifices that uh, these first responders face day in and day out. Um, so, and then, as I said, we're going to have one of the guests from the Salem Business Breakfast thereafter. We've got plenty to talk about. Mayor Adams, he's upset that these, these are people who are getting arrested with guns are getting out on bail. So, we got some work to do here in the city of New York. But we're heading that way on a Monday evening. Don't go anywhere. Let's talk about our friends at Connors and Sullivan, and let's talk about Medicaid. Yes, Medicaid, that system that helps us pay for health care in the United States of America. Are people telling you that you're not eligible for Medicaid? Do you know that the cost of a nursing home is $500 a day, $15,000 a month at least? Are you frightened about bankruptcy just to pay for the medical and facility bills? Well, you should be, but don't panic. Just call Connors and Sullivan, attorneys at law. These attorneys really know their stuff because they've been doing it for 40 years. They've helped hundreds of people just like you with the same thing you're going through. They'll tell you exactly what you're eligible for, and they'll also help you devise a plan to avoid, avoid such dire news. So it's really easy. You could stop all the drama. You could stop all the panic. You just pick up the phone and you dial 718-238-6500, 718-238-6500. Call Connors and Sullivan. You'll get a free initial consultation with a lawyer. They have offices in Manhattan, Brooklyn, Queens, and Staten Island. And remember, folks, it's never too late. Just pick up the phone. Call Connors and Sullivan, 718-238-6500. That's 718 718- Two three eight sixty five hundred, and once you speak with them, once you meet with them, you'll be so glad that you did. Freehold Mitsubishi in Freehold Township, New Jersey, is proud to be an automotive leader in our area and sponsor of the Arthur Idala Power Hour. Driving ambition for 40 years in the United States, Mitsubishi Motors sees the automotive industry differently. Mitsubishi challenges convention with innovative approaches in the way Mitsubishi engineers and builds their vehicles. Just look at the all-new redesigned 2022 Mitsubishi Outlander, now in stock in all trim levels and all with the flexibility of third-row seating. Visit Freehold Mitsubishi today. FreeholdMitsubishi.com or call 732 Out where the river broke, the bloodwood and the desert oak, holding wrecks and boiling diesels, steaming forty-five degrees. The time. Well, a real tragedy happened in Brooklyn, New York. It was, I mean, you know, it's uh, you, you sign up to follow in your father's footsteps. You know, for me, it was relatively easy. All I had to do was pass a test. Uh, you know, it wasn't that easy for me, but, you know, I passed a, a written test. And the biggest weapon I had in my hand was a, a pencil. And the biggest adversary I had was a judge sitting in a robe uh, on, the, on the bench. When you're following in your father's footsteps to be a, a firefighter, the stakes are just much higher. And um, 
Timothy Klein did just that. He followed in his father's footsteps. He's uh, followed a family that is trenched, entrenched in the world of fighting fires, of being heroes. Uh, you know, the, he Timothy had nicknames like the Canarsie Kid and the Golden Child. But uh, yesterday, sadly, he was uh, he became known as one of the fallen heroes. And uh, it really, you know, it breaks our hearts to have to report this. But it's what went on right in our own town, right here in Brooklyn, New York. And I'm so lucky to uh, we're also lucky to have on the airwaves Andrew Ansbro, who is the president of the FDNY Uniform Firefighters Association. Hello, Andrew. Uh, welcome to the Author Idala show. How are you, sir? Oh, thank you for having me. I wish I was here under better circumstances. Yeah, you and me both, my man. You and me both. Um, why don't you just tell us lay folks, you know, what, what happened yesterday so we can hear it from uh, someone who knows uh, the details and not just what I'm going to read in the newspaper. Yeah, well, you know, it's the fire is still under investigation as to the cause and, and you know, where it started and, and, and what exactly happened. But what we know is that uh, it was a... Uh, two buildings kind of joined in the middle of one, you know, two private dwellings joined in the middle, and there was fire on one side, and uh, the fire was also reported on, on both sides. So, so they went into one side, and uh, the other side was also on fire, but the, the side they went into, they, they went into the top floor, uh, and they put out the first room, and they, they went into the second room, uh, looking to put that, you know, put that out, and apparently it's unknown what happened, if it was a flashover or a wind shift, but uh, the situation deteriorated extremely rapidly. Uh, and at that point, the members just bailed out any way they could. Uh, someone out the window, someone out the door. And uh, Timothy Klein, unfortunately, didn't make it out. And uh, you know, all the other members who are, are in the hospital right now uh, burns uh, some dislocated bones. And it just, in a, in a split second, it went from somewhat routine to uh, hell on earth. And uh, you know, every everyone did well what they were supposed to do as they were trained. But you know, in this profession, you could do everything right and uh, it still cost you your life. You know, things what, go bad what, quickly. What hospitals did uh, did the other firefighters go to? Uh, some went to the burn center, and uh, I believe uh, somebody went to Staten Island University Hospital. And you know, those, but those... I, I fully understand some, and they might have moved around today. Now that it's uh, they're you know going to go for longer care, so I'm not sure where everyone is right now. And, you know, Timothy uh, Klein was known for, well, not known for, but it's been reported widely that, that sadly he gave the eulogy uh, not that long ago for, for one of his comrades and how well uh, he did and, and how torn apart his his family is. Um, have they announced what the arrangements are going to be for uh, Firefighter Klein? Uh, it may have been announced, but I'm not entirely sure I have the exact uh, days right I, I believe it's going to be Wednesday, Thursday, Friday. And so, so basically, they were coming out. So basically, it's a it was a semi attached house. That's what you're you're describing. Yes, semi attached house. Uh, it was you know still somewhat cramped. Uh, you you go up the stairs into the first room, and uh, you know you put uh, you know four large guys uh, in equipment in a, in the room uh, with a hose line, and, and when things go south, uh, getting back out the way you came in is just not something that's uh, done as quickly as people would like. And, as I said, members went out the windows, out the doors, whatever they can get out of. They they went out. It was a, you know, it deteriorated in, in, in snap of fingers. There was, but there was nobody in the in the building besides the firefighters at that point. Uh, I believe they found uh, a victim in in the building, uh, a twenty one year old. He he may have been in the other building. Uh, okay. I think the fire might have started in the other half of the uh, structure. I believe uh, it. Again, it uh, those those details I don't have in front of me. It became like a three alarm fire. Yes, uh, it, it, it escalated to a three alarm uh, when the uh, when the conditions deteriorated. As I said, one went from you know, routine to uh, you know, no fire is routine, but uh, this it, it you know they had every belief that it was going to go differently, and then it just went uh, it went bad really fast. So what what lay people like myself don't you know really grasp? You said it was either you, I know you said a wind shift or you said a flash. Like what's a flash? Well, a, a, a flashover would be when the, uh, you know, a sudden, uh, you know, air air gets gets into a room that say the fire had darkened down it, in and a lot of the uh, the room was starved for air, 
and say a door opening up behind you or a window or allowing air to get in, that would cause the room to light up because now it has you know it has fuel or it has oxygen to help burn the fuel and that would be a flash over. Uh, and the other would instance would be a, a wind driven fire. Whereas if uh, the wind were at your back and, and the fire were blowing out the window, if if the wind all of a sudden were to change uh, direction and uh, be coming from the opposite direction, it, it could blow whatever fire is there into you know towards you. And if it, there was enough uh, fuel and oxygen coming at you, it would it would uh, you know, create a blowtorch effect. So I, I'm not entirely sure. Or they're not they haven't announced or figured out what exactly uh, had happened. But it was one of those two things where it went from uh, it just got extremely hot very fast, and uh, you know they had to bail out. And did has they have they announced? Um, yeah. Have they announced the cause of death? In other words, I saw that the floor collapsed, and it may have collapsed on firefighter Klein. Uh, well, the, they said that the ceiling had collapsed, right, uh, on top of them, which. Uh, might which, which most likely uh, stopped him from getting out of the out of the apartment, but uh, gotcha. the exact cause of death uh, has not been has, has not been announced. Smoke, yeah, it? right. I, I, yeah, yeah. So we're talking to the president of the of the firefighters, the Uniform Firefighters Association, Andrew Ansborough. Andrew, in general, you know, we're we're past the hundred days of the uh, of Mayor Adams, you know, first days in office. Can you give us a little, you know, uh, state of the union on how the FDNY is doing? Uh, well, Mayor Adams' first 100 days, uh, I've met him twice in the uh, hospital uh, when one of my members has passed away. And uh, it's, uh, you know, in, in the short time I've had to, to work with the mayor, it's been very difficult. Uh, in these circumstances where, uh, you know, he's he's seeing firsthand uh, that our members, uh, you know, far too frequently uh, pay the ultimate sacrifice uh, for the city. And, uh, you know, we're, you know, we're hoping that, that our relationship, uh, you know, we have, we don't move on to better and brighter things from here because uh, right now he's, he's really only seen the tragedy that, uh, Falls this job, you know, sort of starting with, you know, in January, the, the fire in the Bronx that, that claimed so many lives of civilians. And, uh, you know, again, he, he's, uh, you know, having to show up at the hospital when a firefighter has passed away. It's, uh, it's been a rough, uh, it's been a rough 100, 100 days for all of us. And uh, we're hoping things improve from here. He's got, he's got his hands full with, with crime. Uh, we're hoping that our members, uh, you know, stay out of the hospital, and, and we don't have any well, more tragedy before us. Well, we're all hoping for that. So we have UFA President Andrew Ansborough on. Andrew, if you were going to talk to the mayor right now, if he's listening to the show, what do the, the, the men and women who you represent, you, you know, what do, what do you need? What is your, your number one uh, priority or need to keep uh, firefighters safe and to keep New Yorkers safe? Well, you know, for the last uh, probably 35 years, uh, the fire department has been uh, systematically downsized every time there's a, you know, a budget crisis. And uh, the last time that happened was under under Bloomberg in uh, 2011. Uh, they removed firefighters from uh, 40 rigs. Uh, this engine company, uh, 257, was one of the companies that would have had five firefighters. Uh, yesterday, uh, they had four. Uh, it, they had you know, Bloomberg remove one firefighter from the rig. Uh, we're constantly fighting to get more additional firefighters placed on rigs. Right now, only uh, 20 out of 193 have five firefighters working. The other 173 engine companies are, are short-staffed, which, which means it takes longer to get the hose uh, where the fire is and put the fire out. Uh, and I'm not going to speculate that that you know, caused... Uh, the fatality yesterday, it's not really too soon to say. And, you know, it's quite possible there might just have been an extra firefighter in that room when the room lit up. It's really tough to say. But uh, as a fire department in general, uh, we definitely need more more firefighters out there. Uh, the population has gone up by a million people in the last 20 years, and they've closed six companies and, and taken staffing off of rigs. And Is there uh, we're enough? constantly fighting to bring them back. Are there enough uh, people who want to become firefighters? In other words, is there like some sort of a list that people have to go on before they can take the test? Yeah, well, there, there's no shortage of people that want to take this job. Uh, it's okay. still the greatest job in the world, despite the fact that we're uh, 
you know, so frequently uh, dealing with tragedies of our own. But uh, there is no shortage of people who can take the test right now. We're having a hard time uh, backfilling uh, the uh, department with all the people that have either uh, lost their jobs due to the COVID mandate or have left their jobs due to the COVID mandate. And, uh, and also the hiring freeze of, during the COVID pandemic, where we're short-staffed as far as the number of firefighters we're supposed to have. And there's a class in right now of uh, 270, I believe. And uh, we need those bodies. Right now, firefighters are working an enormous amount of hours based on the, uh, the shortfalls during the pandemic, firefighters being out sick. The, the overtime is, is quite high right now. And we're having a very hard time uh, keeping firehouses open because uh, there's just not enough people willing to uh, continue to work the long hours we've been doing. It, it wears down on the membership. So the bottom line is you, you guys all time high. You need so it's money is coming out either one way or the other. It's either coming out in overtime or they could just increase the bund- the the funding in the budget, and you guys can hire more firefighters and, and there'll be less overtime. Does that sound about right? Well, honestly. Well, honestly, they're hiring as fast as they can right now. Uh, okay. But it takes a certain amount of time to get the members through the academy. And, uh, you know, the, the, the academy being virtually closed for two years during the pandemic has caused a, a bit of a, uh, an issue with staffing. And also, uh, there was a, a fairly large number of retirements uh, due to the, pan, due to the uh, vaccine mandate. And right. we're, uh, we're trying to overcome those numbers. But uh, even, when, even when we get back to fully staffed, the most important thing we could use is uh, either new firehouses be opened and or uh, more engines that are fully staffed. Uh, you know, four firefighters and an officer uh, can't get a, the water on the fire as fast as five firefighters and an officer. And, what about uh, the technology that you guys... It's a safety issue for us. What about, uh, um, we're talking to uh, FDN, uh, FDNY uh, Firefighters Association uh, president. What about the... Um, Andrew, the, the technology that you guys have, I mean, is the NY, the, the New York Fire Department, are you guys up to speed with the local, with, you know, with the, the newest firefighting technologies, the newest equipment, et cetera, et cetera? Well, yes, we, you know, we're, we're always a research and development uh, unit is constantly uh, researching uh, the latest and greatest equipment, and we usually get that. Uh, but you know, the truth is, the vast majority of, of uh, firefighters, you know, fires are put out with brute force. You know, the weight of water has never changed; it never will. And when you're moving a hose around, you need uh, you need the you know the most strong, fit person to do that. But you also need more of them. You know, where uh, the more firefighters we have on that line, gets the line in place, and that's uh, that's what put fire puts fires out. Water on the fire is what does it. And the more hands we have doing that, the, uh, the smoother operations will go. All right, Andrew, I have one minute left. I just want to ask you if, uh, do a little public service announcement here. If you're talking to someone like me, right, who's a father of three and married and, um, you know, I live in a semi-attached wooden house in Brooklyn, New York, you know, what are the biggest, um, the biggest risks when it comes to fire? Um, and, and, you know, what, what words of wisdom can you give to our listeners to make sure that they are safe in their homes? Well, obviously, you need to make sure you have working smoke detectors. Check them regularly. Uh, you also have to make sure you know your way out. Your family has a plan how to get out of the apartment. Uh, there's also, uh, it's been discussed lately, the uh, e-bikes, the, uh, the electric bicycles and the scooters. Uh, we're finding out they're uh, quite dangerous. They, uh, When people charge the batteries, usually when they bring them into their apartment, they leave them right by the door and charge them by the door. And if the battery should malfunction and cause a fire, uh, by the time they realize that their way out of the apartment is now blocked by this burning bicycle and, uh, you know, motorbike, and they can't get out of the apartment. So uh, these e-bikes are posing a new threat to us. We're finding that uh, over the last few years, the number of fires we're responding to uh, that are e-bike related have doubled every single year. And we only expect that trend to continue. And they're uh, extremely dangerous. Uh, so if you have the... Uh... Are, are <laughs> You really need to buy, uh, you know, when it comes to replacing your battery, you've, you've got to get a, a legitimate, uh, you know, authentic battery and not uh, something, you know, a, a hacked battery. You, you shouldn't put, you know, the batteries, when they fail, they, they catch fire when they're charging. So if you're going to have one of those electric bikes, figure out a way to get a long extension cord and charge them outside. Is, is that is that the lesson here, Andrew? Absolutely, yeah. They are extremely dangerous uh, when you bring them into your apartment and the you know and the batteries fail. 
You know, All right. Like said, well, we uh, last weekend there was multiple fires involving e-bike batteries. All right. So listen, I just want to thank you. Uh, we, you know, I, I know this is a rough day for the whole uh, fire department of the city of New York. Thank you guys all for your service. And, uh, you know, may uh, Firefighter Klein's memory live on and on and on. And I'm sure Brooklyn will uh, give him the send off that that uh, he definitely deserves. So I appreciate you coming on very much, Andrew Ransbro. Mr. President, thank thank you. you very much. Thank you very much. Thank you. Well, that was, uh, you know, that that that's not fun. I'm sure for him and for uh the whole FDNY, they're a, a real tight brotherhood. So let's uh, let's keep them all in our prayers. Um, I'll be praying for more sleep on Wednesday morning when I'm going to get up really early and go to the Salem Business Breakfast because that's where that will be the place to be on Wednesday morning. Um, it'll be at Bergen Community College, and we are going to have a blast early in the morning, talking about business. We're going to be talking about how to run a business. We're going to talk about how to start a business. The Salem Business Breakfast will keep you entertained, that's for sure, because Joe Piscopo is going to be there. Al Gattulo is going to be there. Joe Sibili is going to be there. And Debbie Duhane is going to be there. And they're going to serve you breakfast. And there's going to be, besides great conversations, there are going to be uh, prizes like meals with Mike Gallagher and meals with Kevin McCullough and meals with Hillary Kramer and meals with Valerie Delia. And I, my understanding is if you're the lucky winner and I, your luck could, you could determine if it's lucky or unlucky, you're going to come and hang out with me at the Friars Club one afternoon. So bring your business cards. You can enter to win just by throwing your card into a hat. You also want to bring your business card so you can network a little bit. It's hap, it's happening, uh, this Wednesday. The day after tomorrow, April 27th, Bergen Community College. And we have to thank our sponsors, that who, which is Magna Flood, which is Camp of the Woods, which is Regency Wealth Management. Now, you can't just show up. You have to just go online, go to am970theanswer.com. It's free. It's totally free, but we need to know that you're coming. So go online, register at am970theanswer.com for the Salem Business Breakfast, and we're going to have a blast. This is Jerry Boyer for townhall.com. Inflation is bad enough on its own, but some forms of inflation are more frightening and more destabilizing than others. Near the top of the list is food inflation. Sadly, when the Fed grades itself, it tends to focus on something called core inflation, which leaves out food and energy. But instead of downplaying food and energy inflation, our monetary masters should give more focus to them. They have a huge impact on our lives. High energy prices destabilize the world, as we see in the Russia-Ukraine war, and high food inflation tears the social fabric. When food prices rise, poor and even middle class people start missing meals. Often government scapegoats, quote, greedy businesses and imposes price controls, which leads to shortages. That way lies madness. One thing and only one thing has ever worked to whip inflation, and that is sound money. But the longer we wait, the harder it will be to wean ourselves off our addiction to easy money. The Arthur Idala Power Hour is sponsored in part by the good people at Freehold Mitsubishi in Freehold Township, New Jersey. America's been thunderstruck by the all-new 2022 Mitsubishi Outlander. Get high style without the high price, plus an industry-leading 10-year, 100,000-mile powertrain limited warranty. Drive one today at Freehold Mitsubishi for the best selection and outstanding customer service. Just a short ride from anywhere in the metro tri-state area. Visit FreeholdMitsubishi.com or call 732-863-2788. News. Opinion. Passion. This is AM 970. The Answer. We have cloudy skies up overhead, 56 degrees. What's going on? We have the answer. Well, a brand new poll shows a majority of voters disapprove of Governor Kathy Hochul's job performance so far. Let's get more on this from Scott Pringle. The Siena College poll shows 57% disapprove the job Governor Kathy Hochul is doing, and that's up from 53% last month. The majority of respondents not happy with the new Buffalo Bill Stadium deal that involves $600 million taxpayer dollars. Most respondents do support actions by the governor and lawmakers on bail reform and the partial suspension of the gas tax. Crime, though, according to the poll, the biggest issue on the minds of voters. The poll shows the majority of state residents think New York is on the wrong track. 
Scott Pringle, NBC News Radio, New York. Former President Donald Trump is being found in contempt. Let's get more from Liz Warner. New York Judge Arthur Engeron found the former president in contempt for failing to comply with subpoenas for business documents. Trump will be fined $10,000 a day until he fully complies. It's all part of an investigation into Trump Organization finances being conducted by New York AG Letitia James. Trump has long called the investigation politically motivated and a contrived publicity stunt. His lawyers recently argued he doesn't have the documents relevant to the investigation. Liz Warner, NBC News Radio, New York. Thank you, Liz. Taking a look at the traffic, northbound West Side Highway has gotten a whole lot better in the last half hour or so. Just a little bit of volume from the 120s up into the 130s and 140s. FDR heavy on the northbound side in the 34th Street, then slow again in the 60s. Then a pretty good ride from there up to the Triborough, then you are slow from the 150s to the GWB. Southbound some volume from the Williamsburg Bridge right down into the Brooklyn Bridge. Your forecast, cloudy skies tonight, overnight low 52. Cloudy skies tomorrow, chance of showers at any point tomorrow, high 63. Sunshine on Wednesday, high 54. Sunny skies Thursday, high 56. And sun as we wrap up the business week Friday with a high of 60. And now you know what's going on. I'm Mike Barker, AM 970, The Answer. We're back to the Arthur Idala Power Hour with New York City's preeminent trial attorney and quintessential New Yorker, attorney Arthur Idala. So, you know, I don't really do the national thing that much, but when national becomes local, well, then we're going to deal with it. And, you know, we are going to talk about what happened today in state Supreme Court regarding uh, Attorney General Letitia James and former President Donald Trump. And just in general, when um, when you're given a subpoena uh, or an order from the court, like a signed subpoena by the court, a so ordered subpoena, um, you you have to comply, right? And if you don't, uh, like in other words, if if hypothetically they're asking for your your diary, okay? They're they're they've gotten uh, witnesses told them that that you have a diary, and you don't have a diary. You can't just blow it off, and you can't just say, "No, there's no diary." You have to. You have to do a little bit more. Um, or if there's something that you have had at a particular point in time that you no longer have, so let's say you're the only one that has your phone records, like um, your old Verizon records, and so there's proof that at one point you had them, but now you don't. You have to meet a judge's satisfaction that you have looked for them. And, and tried. You've made. You've, you've done the due diligence to try to locate what a judge has said you are obligated to turn over. You know, initially the first wave, which took place here on behalf of the president, is that you say that it's overbroad. The subpoena is overbroad. It's too. Uh, and you can do this for. Uh, you you can do this on a criminal case. You can do it in a civil case. That they're just trying to harass us and they're not entitled to it. So there's two things. One is overbroad. Two is they're just, they're just not entitled to it. They're just going on a fishing ep- expedition. Um, so you could try to what's called quash the subpoena, uh, which they tried to do. Once you can't quash the subpoena, you then try to um, limit it. Once you can't limit it, and now you, you're saying you don't have what needs to be turned over, well, then you have to show that you made the effort to try to find what now you have to turn over. And apparently what happened today was um, the, the judge who's supervising, again, this is the civil investigation, not the criminal investigation. The judge who was supervising it, who happens to have a great first name, um, Arthur Engoron, E-N-G-O-R-O-N. He is no rookie uh, to the bench. He basically said that uh, even though the lawyer has said, no, we don't have it, um, quote, in particular, there is no admissible evidence of who, what, where, when, and how any search was conducted, um, noting that Trump's boilerplate response to the subpoena just doesn't cut it. So in other words, you just can't say, I looked and it's not, and it's not there. You have to give more specific and detailed uh, answers as to what uh, what you did to actually try to find it. You know, say, listen, I went into my storage unit. I went into the basement. I opened my file cabinets. I went into the file cabinet where I keep all my important papers. And I, I did it on this date and on that date and around this time. And I had this witness there or that person there. And it just doesn't exist. Basically, what this judge is saying is, um, I don't believe 
that somebody doesn't have this without you telling me that they really looked for it and they couldn't find it as opposed to uh, it, it does go to credibility. It does go to credibility. Um, often when I, I stand up as a lawyer and I tell the judge uh, my client doesn't have it, I talk about the steps that I've gone through to see if it exists or if it doesn't exist. And sometimes I just have to rely on my client's word. Um, and, it, and it depends on who my client is as to whether the judge is going to, you know, put some any stock into that or not. Here, clearly, uh, the judge didn't put a lot of st- didn't put a lot of stock into um, what was said by President Trump's attorney. Not that it had anything to do with the attorney herself, but I think it has something to do with maybe the former president of the United States. We are going to have fun in the next segment. Get ready, because it's the same person who's going to be at the breakfast with us. Stand by. Freehold Mitsubishi in Freehold Township, New Jersey, is proud to be an automotive leader in our area and sponsor of the Arthur Idala Power Hour. Mitsubishi dreamers, designers, and engineers are redefining choices in mobility for a whole new generation of independent, modern, and savvy consumers who want value, like the new redesigned 2022 Mitsubishi Outlander featuring its industry-leading Mitsubishi 10-year, 100,000-mile powertrain limited warranty. Visit Freehold Mitsubishi today, freeholdmitsubishi.com, or call 732-863-27. What word is better than free? Because that's what the tickets cost for the Salem Business Breakfast. You simply have to go to am970theanswer.com and register. And there you'll see the link to register for the Salem Business Breakfast. The countdown is on. It's less than a week. It's going to be a blast. They've added all of these extra little prizes that people, you're going to throw your business card into a hat, and we're going to pull them out for you. You're going to get to have lunch with the great Mike Gallagher, one of the nicest guys. You're going to get to dine with Kevin McCullough and Hillary Kramer talking about your finances. Bring your portfolio and your lunch with them. She'll tell you what you're doing right, what you're doing wrong. Valerie Delia and Kevin will tell you where to go on vacation. And finally, whoever gets the ticket pulled out will accompany me to the Friars Club. So bring your business cards. Get rid of the schmooze. Get rid of the network. It's happening Wednesday, April 27th at Bergen Community College. And a special thanks to our sponsors, Magna Flood, Camp of the Woods, and Regency Wealth Management. Tickets are free. Register at am970theanswer.com. Oasis Home Care provides care for you and your loved ones in your home. From elderly care to dementia care, personal care to respite care, Oasis Home Care will bring care and companionship into your home to assist you and your loved ones. If you're a veteran, Oasis Home Care can help you with veterans' benefits, too. Call Michael at 732-953-3796 or go to oasishcs.com. A nurse will visit your home for a free consultation. Oasis Home Care serves Ocean and Southern Monmouth County. Let Oasis help with the stress of caring for your loved one while you work, you're at home, or just need time for self-care. Visit oasishcs.com or call 732-953-3796. Oasis Home Care can help you from 4 hours to 24-7. At Oasis... Safety is a number one concern. They're insured, bonded, and a member of the Home Care Association of America. For help providing care or companionship to a loved one and you live in Ocean or Southern Monmouth County, contact Michael at 732-953-3796 or oasishcs.com. Kevin McCullough is next on AM 970, The Answer. Away, the world's oldest person, 119 years old. She was from Japan. Her name was Kane Tanaka. Miss Tanaka was born January 2nd, 1903. 
the year the Wright brothers first controlled flight of their motor-driven airplane. Despite her age, she typically woke up at 6 o'clock in the morning, and she was always learning, still learning in, the, in her hundreds, often studying subjects like math and science during her afternoons. She also loved playing cla- the classic board game Othello. Well, I haven't played that in a while. And had become an expert at the game, often beating her nursing home staff, 119 years old. Let's hear it for her, Matt Sambolin. That's that's incredible, incredible, absolutely incredible. I mean, I mean you got to be getting close to that, right, Matt? Yeah, I don't think so. No, oh, I'm, only, sorry, I'm sorry. only forty, man. Oh, I hope oh, to live oh. that long. All right. Well, speaking of uh, someone who's angel ageless and full of enthusiasm, one of Brooklyn's own, and someone who will be joining me on the Salem Business Breakfast panel, um, and I don't know, fifty some odd ob- hours. Mel Landano. Hello, Mel. Welcome to the Author Idola Power Hour. How I are you? To be I hope I live to be 120. That's my goal. Why? You want to beat her record? I do. When I saw the picture of her this morning, I was like, wow, that's, I want to live that long. Hopefully. All right. Well, um, you know, with God's <laughs> blessings, what can I tell you? Now, you lived or you hung out around in the, the world of Walt Disney and Epcot, correct? Yes, I. Um, my dream is to work at Disney um, in Orlando from the time I was like 11. I worked in an amusement park in Brooklyn for 20 years. and I. I where, where, myself, which I one? Nellie Bly? Nellie Bly? Nellie Bly, yes. There you go. Nellie Bly Amusement Park. Still there. I think it's I called know. Adventureland now. That's correct. I started working there when I was 11. And uh, I wanted to get a job at Disney, and I was at the right place at the right time. And they recruited me and, and slid me right into Epcot, and I wound up being there for about three years. It was great. Best job. Best job of my life. One of the best jobs I've had in my career. All right. Amazing. Well, I'm, hap- I'm happy to hear that. And um, tell me how you know Pat LaFrieda, who's a poly prep graduate. I'm actually at the warehouse of Pat LaFrieda right now in his office with him. And he oh, really? Nelly Bly. Yeah, he's with me. <laughs> he's actually, I'm looking at him right now. He worked at Nellie Bly with me. Isn't he handsome? And, um, he works, Isn't he handsome? He's a handsome guy. Do you know him? You of course I know him. Who do, first of all, who doesn't know Pat Lafrida? Number one, but number two, he's part of the poly prep. He's, he's part of the poly prep family in Brooklyn, New York. So yes, I know him. Um, so yes, I've, I've known him for a long time, and um, he worked at Ferris wheel. I worked at Penning Farm. So <laughs> really? each other every day at Nelly Bly. Yeah, and we lost touch for a little, and then he got. You know, really successful with with Pat Lafrida and me purveyors, and then um, I reached out to him when I needed a job, like I wanted something else to do in my career, and he hired me. And I worked with him for about eight years, ran all his restaurants for him, I did everything at City Field for him, the U.S. Open, and uh, yeah. And I, I I brought my I'm here today. I'm look I'm staring at him right now. All right. So tell somebody. us tell us what you're doing right now. Tell us. Give us a little preview of what you're going to be talking about on Wednesday. On Wednesday, I'll be talking about how I um how I opened my own restaurant during COVID starting from a food truck after I um, had to close my other restaurants with Pat right before COVID we had, I was running four restaurants with him and I oversaw his special projects. And I'll, I'll talk about like how, you know, I could, there was no job for me really with, from what I was doing with him. And um, I took a little leave and somebody offered, I was actually at a restaurant in Tenafly, New Jersey and somebody had a food truck, and they couldn't get it off the ground. They asked me if I wanted to try to take get it off the ground and run it for them. Uh, and I did cause... a tasting for them, and I ran it like a real restaurant, and I had the truck for about seven months. And from there, I was like, okay, I think I'm ready to open my own brick and mortar. And I was able to, you know, got some money together and open a restaurant during COVID. It was crazy. Those, and I've been those... doing it ever since. Those trucks, isn't there a very long uh, waiting list to get one of those permits to have one of those food trucks? I was just talking to Pat about it. You need a permit on a food truck every time you move it. You have to get a fire permit and a health inspection every single time you move it from town to town. It's, it's, it's really hard to run. It's, it's very challenging. Usually people who have the trucks leave it parked. I took it, I did a lot of events with it. I didn't go driving and, you know, nobody followed me on an app to see where Mel was going to be to get a burger. I pretty much, um, I tried to park wherever I could without getting the permit and I got away with it most of the time. <laughs> but, and what, um, was, and what, what were you serving? What was, what was coming off the truck? The concept were burgers, cheesesteaks, 
uh, fresh mozzarella sticks, big pretzels, all restaurant quality, all Pat Lafrida brand products. And, um, you know, in the town, you keep, the only place to get a real good burger would, would be the diner. Or you'd have to order it on Grubhub somewhere else. But it was, it was more like it was just going to the truck and, and, and the excitement of getting there and doing something different. And the food is amazing. We sold eight-ounce burgers. We sold amazing cheese sticks right off the grill and directly in the hands of the consumer. And they, they loved it. And then wow. we got popular with events and catering. And that just catapulted. It was great. Was it, was it easier during the pandemic to be in a food truck than being in a brick and mortar, as you call it? It was because nobody, you know, nobody, you didn't have to go in the store. They were standing outside. They hung out around the truck. So right. we, and you create this other type of community or environment. It's funny. One, one, we, we were, we got a spot. My friend owns a, a treadmill studio called Juma Fit in Tenafly. And I said, Blanca, I need a space to, to park my truck. And I said, if you're an owner, I don't need a permit. So she owns the building, right? And she let me park in the, the parking lot of her treadmill studio. But the funny thing was all these people who never worked out were coming into this treadmill studio to park, to eat at the food truck. One group of people brought their own table and chairs and created their own little dining atmosphere. It was so funny. I have pictures on my Instagram. And what were you, what were you guys serving a drink? What, what was the, what was the, 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 come on, did you sneak anyone a little glass of red wine? I had I had a little stash. It was winter. I always had a little bourbon in my uh, in the refrigerator. And if my customers came, I would give them a little taste of bourbon. But I think that 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 group bought a bottle of wine brought a bottle of wine with them. It was really funny. I and mean, so now what are you up to? Tell me what you're doing that. now. So now I own a restaurant called um, Mel's Butcher Box. The same concept because a food truck was called Mel's Butcher Box. And I brought the food truck concept into my first brick and mortar. And it's so cool inside. And the same atmosphere is there. The same, the same customers that were actually eating at the food truck, you know, when I was open, still come and see me and get all the food. And um, we sell a lot of Lafri- Pat Lafrida meat. So is, his name, is, 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 is Pat Lafrida's name on the menu? It is. And uh, all right. I actually have, I took the sign from the store that we ran, the restaurant, Kenzie Food Hall that says Pat Lafrida says eat my meat. Everybody knows what I'm saying, and it's right hanging up in my store. So his all name right, is all over because yeah. Now you're, you're telling me about all this Jersey stuff, but you you started off obviously in Brooklyn. How'd you wind up in Jersey? I wound up in Jersey because I worked for Bally Total Fitness back in the day. I was well, a marketing been, so director. So we them. got we got Disney, we got yep. Bally, we got Lafrida, and now you're working on your own. I got my own, and now I'm involved in the Food Network. I have a show coming out May 5th that they're airing. It's called oh. Chef Food Camp. Mm-hmm. Oh, and they, they very me nice. And they, um, yeah, so that's my next, my next thing. But so it's the combination you know, of your your world at Bally Fitness and your your food thing. I guess you throw a little Disney in there for the glamour, and there you go. And now you got now you're in you the go. boot camp. Well, we're gonna hang out Wednesday morning. And you know you should try to bring Pat with you. I don't, I'm sure he doesn't get up that early, but um, you know what? he's up. He works nights. He's um he's up all night long, and I can't believe he's here right now. And he's wide awake because he makes sure all the meat goes out and the drivers are here and the butchers are working. All the chefs. So when the when chefs call him at night, right? So when Lenny from L and B tells me that he's calling Pat at like three four in the morning, he's Lenny's actually telling me the truth. He's actually calling Pat at he's three four in the morning. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. All right. When All I right. worked with Pat, he would he would call me at like two in the morning, and and ask me questions, and I'd be like, "Oh, let me answer this call because I won't be able to speak to him, after, you know, throughout the day. He's so busy." So it's funny well, that I want to congratulate you, Mel. And I'm, I'm going to see you in a couple of hours. Basically, it feels yes. like, and we're going to have a lot of fun. And um, I just, I, you know, I want you to go into obviously when we're at the business breakfast, a little bit more detail about what world and what the the world of Disney is like, and and also the world of Nellie Bly. So. We Nelly will, um, Bly. Nelly Bly. <laughs> so we're gonna we're wrapping All up right. the show with Mel. We're we're really excited about Wednesday morning. Pat Lafrida, thanks Me for too. Uh, Me too, be, guys. thanks for for being part of this whole uh, panel in a remote kind of way. And um, folks, I'm starting a murder trial tomorrow, but I will make it to the airwaves by 6 p.m. Have a wonderful Monday night. I hope you're with your family and you're gonna have a great meal. And we'll see you tomorrow.
The preceding program sponsored by Freehold Mitsubishi.